0: Hello, church family. It's good to see if you uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and and grab grab it and turn to First Peter, chapter five. Uh, last week we began a series that uh, we are calling "Man Up," and really what we're doing in this series is we're we're looking to God's Word and we're asking the question: What is what is God's blue blueprint? What's God's design for men? What is His desire um, for what it means to be a man. And so we're, we're bringing to the scripture that question. And, um, and one of the verses that we kind of started out last week with was 1 Corinthians 16. So you don't have to turn there, but I just want to show this to you again because it's kind of our theme verse. Uh, the Apostle Paul's writing to the Corinthian Christians and he's trying to encourage the men to kind of man up a little bit. And uh, he tells them to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, to act like men. In other words, to be mature, to be strong, and to let all that you do be done in love. And I think that the thing that I shared with you last week, that that is a great picture of godly masculinity. I think it, when, you, when you really begin to parse each one of those uh, encouragements, those exhortations out, it really gives us a picture of what godly masculinity is. And if you weren't with us last Sunday, I shared a little bit about the fact that there's a crisis in, in the United States today, in our culture today, of, of what it means to be a man. There's a, a crisis of masculinity. And I think it, there's a couple of reasons for that. I think we really don't have a clear picture of what it means to be a man uh, anymore. We've kind of lost clarity along with that. And I think the other challenge that we have that's, that's really unique in, in Western culture, and it's that, that we don't have a rite of passage in which boys can become men. And so what's happening in our society and in our culture today, we're, we're just extending adolescence uh, longer and longer and longer, farther and farther away when we really need to call our men to take a step or call, our, call boys into taking steps to what it means to be a man. But we've got to have a clear picture of what that is. And that's what we want to do in this series. And you know, my prayer for this series is that this would really be an encouragement to you, that this would be a, a time of renewal and a time of repentance as we kind of go back to, the, to God's Word and, and capture what it means what it means to, to be men and uh, men of faith. Now, last Sunday, I also talked about just three callings that God has for men and that He's called us to be workers, He's called us to be followers, so that we can be leaders, so follower leader there, and then God has called us uh, to be lovers. And this week, I want to I want to just get even try to get more practical, just more on the ground with, with scripture, and just talk about lies that men believe. And so we're going to read a passage from from First Peter chapter five, and uh, the Apostle Peter's writing this, and the topic of this of this section is the uh, is the devil is the enemy, because I think if we're gonna understand lies that men believe, we've gotta start with the devil. We've gotta start with where, uh, with who he is and, uh, and what he tries to do. So I'm gonna invite you to, if you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of the word of God? We're in 1 Peter chapter five. We're gonna begin at verse five and read through verse 11. Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. So obviously this passage, Peter takes a little bit of time to to talk about the devil. And let me just just make a a couple of observations before we we kind of jump into today's message. I, I think the you know, when you're approaching a, a passage of scripture like this, you just always want to ask the question: well, what, what, What's this about? What's the point of this? And I think the point of this passage in particular is this: You and I have a determined enemy. You and I have an enemy, and he's and is he, you know he's called several things: the devil, Satan. You know, they're all different kinds of names. But the point of it is, you and I have a determined enemy and what he wants to do he's determined to distract us he's determined to disrupt us he's determined to divide us he's determined to devour us and he's determined to destroy us I mean he doesn't he doesn't want us to just get off track he wants to absolutely destroy us that is the nature and the character of the enemy of your soul and my soul that's who he is and so I think the caricature that we have when we start talking about the devil, and I just say the word devil, and then we have this image in our mind of this little guy in a red suit with a pointy tail and a pitchfork and horns on his head, and, and we just don't take him very seriously. And so what that is is a character that Hollywood has painted of him, and many times we're formed more by Hollywood than we are by Scripture. And, and so it's Hollywood's, Hollywood's way of saying that this is who the devil is and it's really naive and dumb for us to believe in him. That if you're really sophisticated and you're really modern and you're educated today, that's just really dumb to believe in the devil. Now, what's fascinating is Scripture doesn't present him as a little red person with a, a suit on and horns and a pitchfork. That's not how the Scripture presents him. And what I would submit to you today is that the way that Scripture presents the enemy is absolutely terrifying when you start thinking about it. Because think of all the ways the devil is presented in Scripture. He's called, Jesus called him a strong man. Paul calls him a a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I mean, just consider that for a minute. In Revelation, you have this picture of, of the devil as the great red dragon. Uh, Paul calls him the ruler of the of the you know the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He has power, church. He really does, and he is hell bent on my destruction and yours. In fact, one commentator said he would he would the devil would pick up the mountains and throw them at us if God would let him. He is pure evil. And so what we see from scripture basically is he is a supernatural, personal agent of evil bent on your destruction and mine. He really is. And that's that's the picture that we have. And I think if we're gonna talk about the lies that men believe, we've gotta start right there. We've gotta start with the reality of what he does and who he is. Peter describes him as a roaring lion. Paul talks about the enemy. Jesus talked about the devil as well. Jesus called the devil the father of lies. So what we see is what his native tongue is, lying, accusing, condemning, deceiving, stealing. That's the business of the enemy. And he does it he does it through twisting the word of God and causing us to question the goodness of God. So what I want to do this morning is I want to just share with you. I want to, I want to take just a few minutes and just share with you four lies that men are tempted to believe today. Four very simple lies that men are tempted to believe. We're gonna just, we're gonna base it right out of this passage and, and we're gonna see that there's grace, you know, for us as we as we deal with this. Now, let me let me just say. Before we, before we kind of jump into this, let me just say this. Um, yeah, you know, as a pastor, when I'm, when I'm preparing messages, you know, I'm praying, God, would you work? Would you work through me? Would you, would you speak through me and work in the congregation? And that's my prayer. That, that's, that's what I'm praying as I'm preparing and as I'm working really hard to, to get ready for each Sunday. Uh, but, but I just want you to know that God's not just working on you. He's working on me. He really is. And I'm, I'm writing out. I'm working on this message all week long. And God is convicting me. This is a message about lies that men believe. And God is convicting me about the lies I'm believing this week. Isn't that interesting? And I would love to be able to sit over and say, man, I've got this master. I have got this one in the bank. I've got this one covered. I don't. And uh, I just, I'm, I am in the trenches with you. And, and God is working in me, and you know what, you need me, but I think I need you more. That's just the truth. So I just wanted to share that with you to kind of let you know uh, what kind of week it's been like that for me. So uh, anyway, so let's look, at, let's look at this first lie. Lie number one, this is how I worded it. It's all about me. It's all about me. This is the first lie. That men typically believe it's all about me. I think what the enemy tries to do is he tries to convince us that it's all about me, right? That it's about what I want, when I want it, and how I feel when I get it. I I think the enemy tries to convince us that we are the central character in our story. I think he, he tries to convince us of that. That it's really not about him, it's about us. He, God, is just a supporting cast member in our story. And he convinces us of that. And he, and he, you know, makes a great case for that. And so I start believing it's about my plans and what I think is right and what I think is best. And it's about my feelings. And, and that's just one of the lies of the enemy. I remember years ago, I remember when we were just getting the church started and I I don't know if there's anything harder than planting a church, I really don't. And so in the early days, we were really struggling and there were just, Monday, it was just hard to get up and start again because things weren't going well, we were just having different problems and and, and that kind of of thing. And I remember my father-in-law, Woody Church, I was talking to him about it, I was kind of just, you know, sharing with him, just kind of venting on him a little bit. And uh, about how things were going and things weren't, you know, going like I, I thought they should go. And, um, and I remember him saying to me, he said, Scott, God's not going to do it your way. He's going to do it his way. And I mean, boom, right there. He brought such clarity. I didn't even realize, I, as a pastor, I was trying to make myself the central character in the story. I really was. And, he, and God just gave him a word to bring me back to a much, a much uh, a more humble place, if you will. And I just think it speaks to how easy it is for us to fall into this trap of thinking it's all about us. And it's all about me. And so what is that? It's pride. That's what it is it's pride and pride happens when we think only of ourselves and we think too highly of ourselves and i think that's what i think that's what my father-in-law was was really speaking to me that i had gotten into that proud place of thinking life's about me now you you know what pride is right Pride is when you walk, in, walk into Walmart late at night. That's pride right there. Oh, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, yeah, we, what do we do? We start thinking we're better than everybody else. You ever done that? See, the, the, the thing about pride, and I know this all too well, personally, is when, when we're walking in pride, when we're walking in this attitude that it's all about me, we instantly start comparing ourselves with everybody else. And then that leads to feelings of superiority, and then it leads to feelings of inferiority. And both extremes are deadly and dark. They're pride. And so the focus becomes totally on ourselves. And we start, we start comparing, you know, as a dad, I, I compare my kids to other kids. And, you know, well, my kids are more compliant than yours. Or, you know, we start comparing cars that we're driving or jobs or, you know, um, Whatever it is, we, we instantly start comparing and we start assigning value to our, our comparison judgments. And what that is, is pride. It's, it's deep, dark pride is what it is. And so it's fascinating to me that in a passage where, the, where Peter is describing the nature and the work of the enemy, he spends a great deal of time talking about pride and humility. Have you noticed that how many times he's mentioned this in just a couple of verses? And so a lot of you know, a lot of people want to say, I just rebuke that devil in Jesus' name, you know? Well, there's a place for that. There, there's no doubt about that. But what we have to understand is the is the is the devil is not a creator. He's an exploiter. And what he does is he just exploits what's already inside of us. And he tries to cultivate it and build on it and expand on it. And I think we can rebuke more devils per square mile by just dealing with our own pride, giving him less to work with. Does that make sense? And I think that's what Peter's talking about. If we could just deal with pride and, and, and choose to walk in humility, I think there's really just two options. We can be humble or we can be humbled. And I think that's what he's talking about here. Chan Gailey, uh, former coach of the Buffalo Bills, in his, when he was younger, he used to co- coach at Troy State University, which is in, in South Alabama, not far from my hometown. And he had, he had Troy State playing for the national championship. Like, who's ever heard of Troy State, you know? But they're playing for the national championship, and they're, they're going through their week of practice preparing for the biggest game. And he's on the practice field, and his secretary calls him and says, Coach Gailey, somebody is calling from Sports Illustrated, and they want to talk to you like right now and it's urgent and he's like I'll be right there click so he starts running back to his office and his mind is going 90 miles a minute you know what I'm saying he's thinking about they want to do an article on me they're going to do a cover this is going to be amazing we're going to get unbelievable exposure to our program people are going to see what a great job I've done they're going to put me on the cover this is what he's thinking And he's thinking to himself, do I do an action shot or do I just do a pose for the cover? Finally goes into the office, picks up the phone, says, this is Chan Gailey. The lady on the other line says, hi, this is, you know, Susie from Sports Illustrated. We've noticed that your subscription is coming to an end. Would you you like to renew it at 20% off the newsstand price? And Chan Gailey said, you can be humble or you can be humbled. And that's the whole point. Now, let me, let me just show you this in verse 5. Don't take my word for it, but look at verse 5. Likewise, you are younger. Be subject to the elders. Notice what he says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. Now, it's important to understand humility is not a feeling. Humility is a heart posture. It's a choice that we make. It's not something that we feel. It's a perspective that we choose. And we put it on. We just put on humility and we wear it. And and we walk in it every day. And so that's at the heart of what humility is. It's it's simply recognizing Jesus is the hero of my story. And I'm just the supporting actor. He's the hero in what, what is happening in my life. And I just point people to him. In other words, it's not about me. And I think, hum- I think humility is recognizing, you know, that this, this thought of it's all about me is just a lie. And it's recognizing that, that Jesus is Lord, that he is first, that he takes center stage. And if God wants to take me through a marital struggle to grow me and change me, well, he can do that. You know why? Because it's his story. And if God wants to take me through a parenting struggle, God can do that. You know why? Because it's about him, and it's about me learning what his story is all about. And if God wants to take me through physical challenges and physical illness, whatever, you know what, that's fine, because it's not about me. It's about me serving and bringing glory to God. That's humility. Another way of saying it would be this way. Humility is just being satisfied with my standing before God. That's what humility is. That I, I don't really need more money in my life because money just doesn't satisfy me. I, I, don't, need, I don't need affirmation and acclaim from my parents or from you know, the crowds or my coworkers because that doesn't satisfy. When I get that, I just need more of it. What I need is Jesus because he alone satisfies. That's humility. And that's what he's talking about here. Is He's talking about clothe yourself with that mindset and that perspective. It's not about me. And men, I think a lot of times we, 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 we manage our family, we, we relate to our, you know, our spouse in such a way that we've got to control everything, we've got to be right, everything's got to be not our way because we think it's, it's about us. And it's, and it's really not. And he goes on to say, he says, clothe yourselves with all of you with humility towards one another. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to them. All. Do you know what pride does? Pr- what pride really is, is resisting the grace of God. It's resisting his strengthening, his, his empowerment, his, you know, his, his love. It's resisting that. It's saying, I don't need that. In essence, pride is setting ourselves up as an opponent of God. And... Uh, you know, that's really not a good place. Notice what he says, verse six, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now I think what he's, what he's indicating there is a way out of this, that we are, we are to see the mighty hand of God. We are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Now where my thought, as I was reading this this week, where I went with this was just thinking in terms of this is, this is one place where that happens is when we gather to sing and worship. When we gather together as a church family and we praise God, our eyes are open to two truths. And the first truth is, when we're singing God's praises, we're extolling him, we're giving him the honor and glory that's due his name, our eyes begin to be opened that it really isn't about us, that we need him And then our eyes are also open to the fact that he alone is glorious and good. And so that's why we need to come and gather to worship every week because I don't know about you, I need that. Does that make sense? We need that. We need to see clearly. And what what corporate worship does is, is it opens our eyes to the truth of what's really going on as the enemy is trying to lie to us. All throughout the week the question is this are you a proud person the question is what do you need to see this week do you need to see his glory or do you need to see your need are you satisfied with your standing as a child as a, as a son of God as a daughter of God are you satisfied in that or are you pursuing it in other places so that's the first lie it's all about me here's the second lie I am my work. I am my work. This is, a, this is very common, I think, among men that we, we know that God has called us as men to work. And I, I talked a little bit about, about this last week, you know, that, uh, that work is taking the raw materials that God has provided for us, whatever those raw materials are, and as, as Men and, and women are called to be workers as well. We, we take those raw materials and we fashion them in such a way that other people bl- are blessed by them and that other people f- flourish because of them. Does that make sense? So an engineer is going to take concrete and steel. He's going to fashion them together. He's going to make a highway. He's going to make a bridge. He's going to make a building. And we get, we get to flourish because of that. And praise be to God. For engineers. So, so that's work. But here's, here's the problem. The problem starts, I think, with men when we start basing and sourcing our identity in our work. Then it becomes a problem. In, in other words, our identity becomes, becomes anchored to our activity. And our activity defines our significance and our value and our worth as people as men and that becomes a huge issue because when we start seeing our significance and our value anchored in our work what happens when our work's not going really well because you know we don't have total control over that I think you might have noticed that what happens when you don't have your job anymore if your value and significance as a person is sourced in your job what happens when when you're no longer working. Men, your life is going to outlast your work. What then? And what happens for some men is that worry and anxiety begins to rule the day. Because they source their identity in their job. They begin to worry. And that becomes, that becomes the dominating feeling in their life and it controls them I was reading about Dustin Hoffman this interview was from 2015 Dustin Hoffman you guys know who Dustin Hoffman is I mean he's he's won countless Oscars he's done great movies blockbuster films and he was talking about his biggest fear and he said his biggest fear is the future and being considered a failure because someone wouldn't hire him to do a movie And he said, you're only as good as your last work. And so his biggest fear is is not being considered worthy to be hired to do another movie. I think that speaks to the heart of where a lot of men are. Men, our identity is not sourced in our work. It's sourced in our relationship with God, in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I think a lot of men worry that Am I going to be able to provide for my family? Am I going to be able to make ends meet for my family? And behind that worry is this assumption that we're the source of all that's good in our life. And that's not true. It's just a lie that we fall into the trap of believing. God is the source of all that we are and all that we have. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we... We shouldn't be concerned about our work and the welfare of our family. We should be. But there's a big difference between concern and worry, is, is there not? Concern is what gets you, gets you going in the morning. I you know, get you up out of bed. I got to go to work. I want to provide and bless my family. I want to be a blessing to my community. That concern is really healthy. But worry is different. Worry, worry is the perspective that it's all on me and I got to get this done. And I'm the source. And I think the question is this, are you putting your faith in your circumstances or in your sovereign Savior? That's the question. And I think men, our, our work would become a joy if we're looking that our, that our main prayer is to do excellent work for the glory of God. That's when it becomes a joy. Now, what if, what if you struggle with worry and anxiety in your work? Well, Peter talks about this. Look at verses 6 and 7. He says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, all right? Casting all of your anxieties on him, why? Because he cares for you. So what he's talking about there is when we are tempted to move from concern to worry, when we start, you know, moving in that direction, we need to take a step, And that step is we need to cast our cares upon the Lord. Why? Because he cares for us. Now, when you think, when you hear that word cast, what comes to your mind? Usually what comes to a man's mind is fishing. So we take a, so just pretend I've got a fishing rod and then I've got bait and I've got hook and I've got a little bobber on there and then I'm going to cast. And when I'm casting, what I do, I hold on, right? I'm holding on. And then after a few minutes, what I do? I reel it back in and take it over. And that's worry. We're worrying about something. We're worrying about our business. We're worrying about our job. We're worrying about something. And what do we do? We cast it on the Lord, but we're holding on. And then what do we do? We reel it back in as if it's, okay, I'm going to take this back. That's not the picture Peter is talking about here. You know what the picture that Peter's talking about is? Hurl that thing and let her go because it belongs to God. Does that make sense? Cast your cares on the Lord. Because he cares for you. You cast, you let go, because what matters to you matters to God. If it bothers you, it bothers God. So put it back on him. And so that's how you defeat that lie that I am my work. Lie number three. I deserve a comfortable life. That's lie number three, that I think men believe. I deserve to be a comfortable life. I've seen this in my own own walk with God for sure. So the thought is this. We live in a culture that tells us it's all about life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. That's the culture, okay? And it's it's just easy to drift into thinking, okay, I I get to choose what I want to do. I'm free to do that. And it's all about getting stuff and experiences so that I can be happy. And usually it comes also from the fact that as men, we've been really good providers. And then, and then that leads to entitlement. I think, well, you know, I've done such a good job. I work really hard. And so I give so much time to my work. My free time is mine and I deserve to be comfortable and to have a life of ease. And we forget that God has not only called us to be providers, He's called us to be protectors, and sometimes being a protector means you're going to be uncomfortable. All right. I remember my first year of marriage with Luann. We were I I was pastoring two small country churches in in South Alabama. We lived in the sticks. We lived. We didn't live in the boonies. We lived in the goonies. That's where we lived. We live beyond the boonies, where we did. Okay, so we're out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's not help within 20 minutes of us. You know what I mean? Like, we're just going to die if something bad happens. So, um, so I remember we were asleep. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and we hear this guy. We hear somebody banging very loud. Like, they're going to break down the door, our front door. And we hear this—these cuss words, these yelling, obscenities, all of this stuff. And Luann and I were just like, we were wide-eyed. My heart was beating 90, 90, to nothing there, and I'm, I'm sweating like crazy. And we're just, we're just kind of frozen. Like, what in the world is going on? I mean, this guy sounds drunk. He sounds angry. He sounds like he's going to do some damage. So, so I'm like there. Luann's next to me, and I go, and I go, honey. There's a pistol in the nightstand right next to you. Grab it. And go to the front door and see who this is. (laughs) I did not say that, actually. I need to save a little faith here. So um, I did grab the pistol. And I'm the one that went to the front door to see what was going on. And praise God, I didn't need to fire a single shot because... At uh, the sound of my voice, they just fled into the darkness of the night. I don't know. But um, let me show you. Let me, um, let me show you verse 8. Let me show you this. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says this Be sober minded, be watchful. Be watchful. Why? Well, he tells us your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, you know why I didn't ask Luann to go to the front door? Because that's my job. It's not just my job physically. It's my job spiritually. It's my job emotionally. It's my job mentally to protect my marriage, to protect my family, and to protect my church. That's on me. God has called us to be providers, men, and he's called us to be protectors. That is the truth. And so uh, what that means practically, the image, the image that we see in the Old Testament is this whole concept of being watchful. You see the concept in the Old Testament of watchmen on the wall. So you know that in antiquity, they, when they built a city, they built huge walls around that city. And what they did is they posted watchmen in every single direction, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know what they were watching for? They were watching for enemies approaching armies is what they were watching for. And when they saw something concerning on the horizon, it was their job to alert everyone, everyone to get to their battle stations and for them to get their weapons ready because it's time to fight. Man, God has made us, God has made us strong in him to be fighters and to be protectors for our marriage, for our family, and for our church. That's what we're called to be and to do. And so you, you, we can't just fixate on being just providers. That's one piece of the puzzle. God's called us to be protectors you see I think the problem is when I start believing the lie that I deserve a comfortable life what happens is I begin to move from protector to being passive I move from being protector and being warrior and being you know being this uh, protector for my family to just being non-responsive just passive just just chilling out not doing anything And I think you see this in Genesis 3. I've often wondered as I've read through the story in Genesis 3 of the fall of of humankind where God has clearly told Adam and Eve, you can eat of all the trees in the garden, just not this one tree. And then then Genesis 3 tells us about the serpent crawls its way into the garden and, and the serpent tempts Eve and he goes up to Eve and he says, did God really say you couldn't eat of all the trees in the garden? You see how he's twisting the word of God? You see that? That's what the enemy does. He twists it. And then Eve responds by saying, well, he didn't tell us we couldn't eat of all the trees. He just said we shouldn't eat of this tree for if we eat of that tree, we shall surely die. And then you know what the enemy does? You know what the serpent does? The devil, the father of lies? He says, you won't die. That's crazy. You'll know good from evil and you'll be just like God. Wouldn't you like to be God? So what you see is you see the enemy twisting and lying to the daughter of God. And my question is, where in the world is Adam when all this is going down? Like what in the world is he doing? Is he in in a lazy boy in front of the TV? Well, what's going on here? He's just kind of watching the whole thing play out. He should have gone over to the serpent and cut his head off. That's what he should have done. He should have done that. And men, you and I need to be doing that as well. I think men are tempted to be passive today in three different areas. I, I, think, I think men are tempted to be passive in their involvement in the church. To be just non-responsive in their involvement in the church. Just to just kind of fade in the background. You guys know what I'm saying? I don't know if you're familiar with the Babylon Bee. It is a satire website. They they put out hilarious stuff uh, making fun of Christianity and the church, they do it in a very reverent, respectful way. Uh, So it's really funny. They make me laugh all the time. But I found a headline a couple of weeks ago that was sober, sobering for me. Uh, The headline was this, after 12 years of quarterly church attendance, parents are shocked by their daughter's lack of faith. Yeah, it's true. Man, I don't know if we understand this, but your kids, your your family takes their cue from you. So if Christianity is, is really just moderately important to you, guess what? You're training your family to see Christianity as moderately important. It's either ultimately important or not important at all. The one thing it can't be is moderately important. And so when we are just passive in our involvement in the church, we communicate to our family, it's okay. You can be passive and, and, and you can be partially involved In the church as well i think men are passive in their parenting of their kids in in some ways i think we see many dads want to be their kids friends today and i think there's a place for that but i think i think our kids our boys and girls they need to understand what godly masculinity is and they need someone to show them what it is so that the boys can step into it and the girls can understand the difference between a godly masculinity and an ungodly masculinity. Does that make sense? They need to see that in front of their eyes. Well, you can't always do that by just being their friend. I, I think another way men are tempted to be passive is just in their marriage, in their marriage relationship. You know, most most men are really good at pursuing women, I think. God created us that way, so most men are good. I'd say every, every, every married man in this room, we definitely out our coverage. There is no question about that, right? So what I know is this. I know that as men, we're really good at pursuing a woman. We're really good at that. But what happens is once you get her to marry her, you stop pursuing her. Like, do you remember how many times you watched The Notebook with your you know your, your girlfriend? I mean... And you, you did it. She married you because you watched it a hundred times. You hate that movie, but you watched it, right? How many things of frozen yogurt did you eat? And you don't even like frozen yogurt, right? But something happened when we said, I do, you know, when we, when we exchanged our vows, and all of a sudden we stopped pursuing her. Man, you need to pers- don't be passive about your wife. You need to lean in and pursue her even more. I guess another way of saying this is this if you want a comfortable life, church, do not follow Jesus. Don't. Because if you follow Jesus, you got to go where he went. And you know where he went? He went to the cross. But here's the thing you can't get to the resurrection until you go through the cross. And so, men, are you lazy? Are you passive? Are you sitting on the couch when the enemy is trying to ransack your family? What conversations, hard conversations, are you avoiding? Because you just want, you want that comfortable life. You think you deserve that comfortable life. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. Here's the last lie, and it's this. I I can do it alone. I can do it alone. This is by far the most common lie that... We as men believe, verse 9, I can do it alone. Resist him, resist the devil, stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering or trials or problems there are being experienced by your brotherhood. So you can stand firm because you know other guys are going through what you're going through. Church, listen to me. Men, listen to me. The problems you're experiencing, they're not unique to you. They're unique to all of us. And I think the enemy wants us to say that we're unique, no one else has walked through the problems we've been walking through, and so therefore no one can help, so what we need to do is hide in isolation. And it's a lie, it's just not true. And so, you know, as men, we, we have parenting struggles, we have marital struggles, we have financial struggles, we're all in this together. We've all been there, done that. And so there are men in this room that can help you walk through the issue, that the challenge that you're dealing with right now. But well, what do we do? We just isolate ourselves. And the enemy just picks us off. And so God said in the garden, it's not good for man to be alone. He wasn't just talking about Adam needs a date for the prom. That's not what he was talking about. He's talking about men need and thrive in community. We need to be together together in community you know as you think about prisoners and serving a life term in prison what is the ultimate form of punishment in the prison system solitary confinement you're watching national geographic one of those documentaries on lions and there's a herd of impala out there and the lion's just looking it over who does the lion go after That little stray, weak impala takes them down every time. There is strength in numbers. And what we want to be as a church is we want to be a church of real community where real men share our real struggles, and it's a safe place. Because the truth is we're all struggling with the same thing. It's just the enemy's really good at lying to us, thinking, well, our struggles are unique when they're really not. So I just want to challenge you men. God's grace is for us to deal with the lies of the enemy. Jesus says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is really good news. What do you need to be set free from? God says you know the truth. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, you can be set free. Isn't that great news? Let me tell you about an opportunity we've kind of been talking about over the last couple of weeks and that is men's action groups. This is a great next step for men that are not, not connected. And uh, we're just trying to form just one shot service groups. We've got different projects around the church. Men have different expertise and gifts and talents. We just want to deploy those and use those to build the kingdom of God and rally men in community around that. And, um, and I want to just encourage you if that's you, um, if you're interested in taking a step, there's a place in your bulletin on the Connect car where you can check that box off and put your name on there and take it to the info counter and get signed up. And we can um, we can serve together, we can be together, we can pray together as men, and then we can we can make a huge difference for the kingdom of God. Everybody get it? Let's pray together. Father, we humble ourselves before you because. We need your grace. We don't want to be resistant to your grace. Your word clearly tells us you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So I just ask you would raise up the men in this church, that we would be men of truth, that we would be men that reflect and and magnify your honor. I pray that we would be men that that love our families. We'd be men that love and cherish our spouses, our kids. We would would be servants and we would love our our moms, our sisters, and our our sisters here in Christ. Lord, that's the picture of godly masculinity. And I thank you that what you've called us to, what what you've commanded us to, you've also given us grace and power to do it. So we just confess we need your help. We need that. None of us have it together. But we thank you that you have it all to give to us. So I pray we would just take a step. In Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.